Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris O'Brien. He's the CEO of AdhereTech. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, for the benefit of the listeners, tell us a little bit about your background and how you arrived at this point before we get into the details. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was trained as a software developer, um, I became an entrepreneur. I started and ran three different uh, software businesses, all video technology of, of, of all things over 15 years. And um, sold my last company to Hewlett Packard in 2010, and I just realized I didn't want to do that with the rest of my life. And so I, I got into digital health, thinking I would start a, a company, but ended up meeting some friends of mine and, and joining a company called Everyday Health in New York City. It operates health information websites for for patients and physicians, and I ended up spending almost seven years there as general manager of the physician side of the business. And you know what I love about working in in digital health is that there are, it's a tremendous time and so much change and opportunity, and it's a tremendous time to be doing this, but it, it also, for me, aligns the mission of the business with the economics of it. And I think, you know, AdhereTech was a, is a great example of that, and Everyday Health was a good one. Um, and um, ended up actually um, getting to AdhereTech through uh, one of the board members, who's the founder and CEO of uh, Everyday Health, Ben Wolin. And uh, it's just been great to be here because everything we do helps patients, and we literally can't be economically successful without helping patients. Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point. I want to just talk a little bit about that. You talk about digital health and, you know, the, the essential nature of that. I, I hear certainly pushback on that. You know, where does it, uh, what is the value proposition? We see an awful lot of, you know, digital health. That's almost the, the buzzword of, of the, uh, certainly the year or perhaps years. But whether it's delivering value or not, sometimes questionable. Tell me a little bit about why you see that and, and what the contribution is. It's not that I disagree with you, but I'm interested in your perspective. Well, I think it's a very fair question. And the, really, the question is really value for whom, right? It's um, you know a lot of digital health solutions, even if they may be helpful to certain classes of patients, are not necessarily ones that are going to fit into a payer's reimbursement uh, framework. I mean, think about it, diabetes, digital health solution, and you're a commercial payer. You know, these are patients that are relatively healthy, not going get going to the emergency room or having complications. They're going to turn off your plan. Like it, it, it may not make sense. You know, they're looking for 12 to 18 window payback periods. You're not going to get that. Now, maybe if you're, you know, Bank of America and you have a longstanding employee base, you'll think about it differently as a payer. But the, uh, the uh, incentives are not aligned in, the, in that case, even if the solutions work, which can be hard to measure in some cases. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And that's one of the challenges of the uh, architecture of our system that, um, you know, we've created these segments that don't align and also have a relatively short term uh, horizon, not always through their own making. I mean, you know, if you think about that from an insurer's perspective, great. So I've got this individual and I put an investment in them, but then they jump to a different plan. You know, that's true even for the Medicaid plans as well. So, um, and, you know, you bring up an interesting sort of alternative perspective. You cited Bank of America. 
maybe we should be targeting some of this at other groups at this point, and you know that's employers as you know more important areas of focus for some of this investment. Well, I think that's right. You've got to find um, whatever the solution is. You've got to find something that makes sense to the patient first and foremost, because without patients, we have nothing. And that actually can stay with the patient for a long time. It's got to make sense to whoever's paying for it, which might be a payer or an employer, or in our case, it's often pharmaceutical manufacturers or clinical trial sponsors, at least today. And it's got to make sense to you know the, the broader health ecosystem, at least at some level, because you've got to find patients, right? And in our case, pharmaceutical manufacturers don't have patients. They have uh, pharmacies that have patients, right? So how do we make it make sense to the pharmacies and the larger healthcare companies of which they're a part? And aligning those incentives, whatever the solution is, I think is just really critical to getting any scale at all. And I think that's what happens with digital health companies. They don't get scale. They have some local data. It looks great, but it never goes anywhere. Interesting. So um, digital health, central uh, um, technology, uh, and you've now part of uh, the, the Adhere Tech uh, leading that uh, particular technology. Uh, help us understand what that is and, and what it is that you're doing. Yeah, I, I, thank you. Um, I'd love to do that. The let's start with the problem. The, you know, the adherence uh, understood broadly. You know, how people take their medications, when they take them, do they take them as prescribed? Do they stay on them? Do they refill their scripts? It's an incredibly difficult problem, uh, and and really one that that stretches across you know every condition area, every health um, healthcare context, uh, and and really around the world, of course. You know, people in countries as they as they grow middle class, they they first buy cell phones, medical care, and then they all of a sudden have these diabetes and other chronic condition populations, just like we do here in the United States. Um, so, you know, the approach that the is taking is, is very different than other approaches in the marketplace, and. and you know, I think it, it goes without saying that there have been a lot of, uh, of ultimately failed approaches to attacking uh, adherence, you know, with digital health and with other types of solutions. And and really for a, for a number of reasons, one is definitely the economic alignment um, that's just not always there. You know, again, that diabetes example, if I'm a commercial payer, I kind of want you to take your diabetes medication, but it's not that important to me. And so it's not worth the investment that's needed to address it. Um, at the same time, the other thing is that, you know, patients, especially ones with serious conditions like cancer and MS and schizophrenia, it, it's so hard for them every day to, to know to what the right things to do are, to do the right things. And if you think of that patient who's been you know, diagnosed with, with cancer, say, you know, they spent 15 minutes with a doctor, hopefully handed off to an oncology nurse, and then they go home and they've got to manage their condition on their own, hopefully with a helpful family member, not always. And it's not that the providers don't want to help. They do. But who needs help today? They, they don't know. And I, that's really the problem that, that we specifically are trying to solve at InterTech. So before we get into the, the technology, I think uh, you bring up important point. I mean, this dates back. And as you were saying that, I'm thinking of all of the um, therapies that medicine has come up with, you know, uh, ranging from leeches and mercury and uh, all sorts of uh, just really quite uh, 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 significant impacts on, you know, your personal uh, experiences. And I'm sure adherence was a big problem going back even further. And I've never really uh, thought about it, but at this point, you know, must have been. It continues to this day, even with, you know, well-designed. And, you know, I'm reminded of my father who 
I always believed that if the medicine didn't taste horrible, it wasn't any good. At least that was his explanation as to why I, as a child, had to swallow this awful tasting stuff. Oh, no. um, but we do. We have this, you know, a- adherence problem, which, you know, uh, it is very significant in any therapy if you consider, you know, based on some of the data, we're not even sure that patients are going and filling their prescription, let alone taking it if they do fill it. And there's all sorts of reasons why that takes place. What are the some of the solutions that have been tried and, you know, the challenges with that to date? Well, I, I think just maybe taking it from a digital health angle, you know, you just think about a patient, maybe they're 70, you know, they have multiple myeloma. It's one of the conditions we work in. You know, they're living in rural Kansas, um, you know, not really that near a cell tower, no internet access at home, not really sure how to use a smartphone. And all of a sudden, they get a little card at the doctor's office that, hey, download this app. It'll help you stay in touch with your physician and track your medications. Well, you know, I'm not sure they want to stay in touch with their physician and track their, their medications. Even if they did, it reminds them every day that they have a disease that they're trying to forget. Um, and that's very hard for, for people. And it requires them to do all of these extra things. And, and, you know, that's a burden that that a certain kind of patient who might be uh, compliant already, you know, that, you know, really could maybe handle, but the vast majority can't. And so because of that, uh, most of the more digital health programs, and they come in all kinds of forms, you know, financial incentives of some small amount to take your meds or to see a doctor, uh, you know, reminders, you know, texted to your phone, which doesn't get to text because you don't have even a cell phone in many cases. And you just think about these communities, whether rural ones or uh, or more urban communities that are, that are economically challenged and have you know, trust issues with the medications and the medical system, you know, it's very hard for big chunks of the population that isn't technologically literate to engage at all with a lot of these solutions. And so what happens is uh, many patients don't, and you get only a very small percentage of patients to engage. And that means even if it works for those patients, there's no effect at a population level. Um, so uh, so that's that's been a challenge. And then, you know, the traditional one is throwing people at the problem, right? You think about... Um, you know, an at-risk primary care group, for example, they have a team of of probably relatively low-level clinicians who literally call patients every week. Are you taking your meds? Are you taking your meds? They don't know who's taking their meds, who's not, even if they're filling. They know who's filling generally, but not always. And uh, it's both expensive, it's annoying to patients, and it's ineffective. Gosh, I I can't imagine the uh, caller ID utility at that point. I'm oh, I'm receiving that call. I'm going to let that one roll to voicemail. It just uh, it it seems like a a pathway to um, uh, failure is is my sense of it. Maybe some people have had success. For those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Chris O'Brien. He's the CEO of AdhereTech. We were just talking about some of the challenges. Um, And, you know, you rightly bring up one of the the core elements of this, which is access. And, you know, when we talk about technology, uh, that that was part of my reason for diving into that digital health, because that's one of the areas that we see this resistance or at least failure to deliver value, which is centered on lack of access to that technology. I mean, you talked about it from a remoteness, access to a cell tower, you know, technology, even internet access. But you're suggesting that there's an alternative way. Tell us how you can do that and how we can start to address that aspect of it. 
Well, very specifically at AdhereTech, uh, we have a connected health platform that helps to monitor patients uh, when they've been diagnosed with a serious condition and are on medications today, oral solids, pills, and, and capsules. And we do that through a series of smart devices. This is a, uh, this is a connected fill bottle. And um, it is a, um, our pill bottle is just a pill bottle. It looks like a pill bottle. It acts like a pill bottle. You put your pills in it, you open it, and you, uh, and you take your meds um, as prescribed. But the one difference is that uh, the pill bottle is actually an Internet of Things device. It is connected through a cell chip with our backend platform. And through that, we're monitoring patients in real time. So in a way, it's solving kind of a last mile information problem. You know, the doctors know that they prescribe meds to patients, they send them home, who's taking their meds, who's not, who's taking them as prescribed. Perhaps you're supposed to take it once a day, you're taking it twice a day, you're taking it every other day. You know, patients do the darndest things for reasons that make sense to them, right? If you are having side effects, you stop taking your meds, you feel better. Who's done that? No one knows for at best 30 days when you don't fill the script or you go back to the doctor. And that, that's what AdhereTech is solving. We monitor those patients remotely. We can give them digital reminders if that's helpful. And through that, we create real-time information coming out of the home about who needs help and who doesn't today. So, uh, I mean, the, there's, there's a number of elements to that. Obviously, the, the pill bottle. So that's unique. That's a special device. Is that something that they receive their meds in or they have to transfer them into? How, what's the sort of flow of this? Because, you know, as you rightly point out, that last mile is one of the major areas of challenge. Um, there's, you know, understanding or comprehension of what's required. How, how is that process working? Well, today, um, AdhereTech is largely working with large uh, pharma manufacturers and biotechnology companies to help support their patients. So generally, the way it's working is um, we're integrated with either the specialty pharmacy or a medical practice or health system with our back-end platform. And so at the time a, a patient is prescribed a medication or is getting a refill, um, they're offered to join the smart pill bottle program is often what it's called. And, uh, and then they, they, they then receive either the, the smart pill bottle from the physician or the, the you know, a clinician at, at, the, at the medical practice, or it will come along with their meds. Typically, the meds are separately packaged, and then the patient today transfers their meds from the yellow bottle into our bottle. And then they use the same pill bottle, in some cases for years and transfer the meds you know, once a month or whenever the refills uh, arrive. And, and the interesting thing about it is you don't need to have anything at home. There's no, you don't need to have a smartphone or even a phone at all. There's no internet connection required. The, the smart bottle arrives already programmed by say your pharmacy with the right dose times and your schedule. And so because of that, we just get much higher uh, opt-in rates, uh, we're typically seeing about half of patients opt into a program, which by itself is a stunning number. And of those, 85% will start using the smart pill bottle. And, and then uh, those patients stay on uh, in the program for, in some cases, many years. So our oldest program is about three years old, and we still have many patients on that medication. Again, all being monitored remotely. And the great thing about it is if you take your meds as prescribed, absolutely nothing happens. Nobody bothers you. Nobody calls you. Nobody asks you questions. But if you don't, your pharmacist, the oncology nurse, um, someone else knows in real time and, and realistically can then call you the next day say, and say, hey, you've been doing fine for a couple of months and I see you're, you're stopped taking your meds. What's going on? And that's what makes the difference, that intervention in real time. People who need help get help at the time they need it. 
So is there any component to this that actually provides a reminder? I mean, I, I'm, I, I can't speak for other people, but I know I, I need constant reminders. Is that included as part of the tech? I mean, I, I love the simplicity. I think the importance of just, hey, it's just this, you need nothing else, I think is absolutely essential. But does it include some capabilities to say nudge before you get a further intervention that says let's check up because you know rightly there could be some very valid reasons that they stop and you sort of cited some of those earlier. Um, yeah, it does. So the the smart ball itself has uh, has some some soft lights that can be set up to go off um, a little bit before your your scheduled dose time. Uh, there's a, a chime in this version of it that can be set to go off after a certain number of minutes if you've missed your dose. And then because we're connected in real time to the backend platform, if, if the program can also be set up so there is automated text messages to remind people to take a, a medication. And, and people, it's funny, when you send someone an automated text message, they don't always know it's an automated text message. And so we'll get a text back and it'll say things like, oh, I'm at dinner, I'll take it when I get home. <laughs> okay, great, you just, you're just you talking to our computer, but um, but we read them anyway. And um, and then uh, you know there, there's automated voicemails as well or, or, or phone calls in the case where someone doesn't have uh, texting, which is a surprising percentage of a lot of these populations actually. And, and we think all those things help. And and I but I think you know text message programs by themselves, you know, are better than 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 nothing. You know, I think a lot of pharmacies deploy them now, but but it's really the knowledge of wh who's having issues today, who's adherent and who's not that makes the difference. Right. So I, I, I think, you know, there's a compelling uh, argument here for uh, the, the simplicity of this. Um, you, you know, what I heard you say is a reusable tool. So I, I get my device. Um, if that's the case, and perhaps over the course of time, my medications change or perhaps my dosage changes, is that programmability incorporated so that I don't have any I don't have to deal with it because you, you talked about this as a pharmacy programs. It Can they still do that remotely given that it's a connected device? Well, it's um, generally each specific bottle is intended for one medication. If it's deployed by a pharmacy, it's typically um, receives a secondary label with the name of that medication. Uh, and, and that's important because, you know, we're working in, you know, a lot of uh, specialty oral solids and, you know, you see, so you think oncology meds and, and some of these meds are actually quite toxic. You're supposed to actually put um, gloves on before picking them up and you wouldn't want to switch, you know, actually you know, put your hypertensive meds into that bottle. That just, that wouldn't be safe, especially if you've been transferred to another medication. So typically if a patient, um, is transferred to a new medication. If it's one that we are supporting, uh, they then receive a, a new bottle, uh, for that, for that medication. So, uh, uh, various bottles, you know, obviously uh, the, the ability to expand this, you, you've started in, I guess, intense areas, maybe high cost areas. How cost effective is this? Because, you know, the economics of this has to work. But, you know, as you think about this for other meds, you, you know, you've cited diabetes as an example. And we we still have compliance issues in there, and it is important. Is this something that has the potential to help solve those problems in the future? Uh, we think it is. Um, you know, I think one of the the genius of the founders here is again, first of all, they made it super simple for patients. 
But they also figured out how to align economic incentives in at least one corner of the market. So the way that we're going to market today is in working with specialty pharma manufacturers. Um, you know, there are about 200 oral solids, uh, pills and capsules on the market in the U.S. today at, a, at above $1,000 a month price point, which is where the economics for the manufacturer make a lot of sense. And it's pretty simple for the manufacturer. We're getting one to two additional prescription fills on average per patient per year. So you think of a medication that costs $10,000 a month, a uh, very common price point, you know, 10 to $20,000 in additional revenue, we're charging you a small fraction of that. You know, uh, literally the pharma manufacturers are seeing, you know, 10x or more return on their on their spend with us. And so it makes a lot of sense for them, but of course all of that would have been true uh, 10 years ago as well. What's different now is that we can actually cost effectively manufacture a medical grade smart pill bottle. And at the and we can recruit patients because the pharmacies are all themselves becoming subject to value-based care arrangements, either with the larger healthcare entity of their part. So they're really motivated in a way that they, of course, have always cared about keeping their patients um, adherent. But that doesn't mean they had economic incentive to do so uh, even five, ten years ago, and now they do. So it's it, it is in fact a very different world from the ability of getting all of the incentives aligned, and so. Again, back to the manufacturers, they're getting that one to two additional fills in the year. But even more importantly, in many of the cases we work in, they're keeping 30% more patients on the drugs that we work with at the end of 12 months. In some cases, we just saw 50% in an oncology drug. So it's, it's a spectacular improvement for patients. These are first-line drugs. So those are patients not proceeding to chemotherapy or surgery or, or worse. Um, but it's also amazing for the pharma company because they spend all this money developing or licensing a drug and then have patients start taking the med side effects. Two months later, they drop off. Um, and, and so that's really what drives the economics for them. So yeah, you, you mentioned an endpoint there that, um, you, you know, is useful. So people staying on the drug and continuing to take it. I, one that interests me a little bit more is, you know, does that endpoint translate into better outcomes? Have you studied that as well? Um, and where do you see this going? Well, I, I think, um, you know, today we're growing within the specialty uh, pharma manufacturer category. But uh, what's amazing about the world today is there's so many primary care groups that have gone at risk now or standing up their Medicare Advantage plans. And my mom was a pediatrician. And I remember as a kid, she would just complain so much about those terrible parents who wouldn't give the kids the antibiotics she prescribed. And so doctors uh, and other clinicians have always cared. But now we have you know, groups like Oak, Oak Street and others that have um, Alliday that's powering ACO networks. So there's all these uh, these groups now that have budget, incentive, product teams. And so it's not a market that we're working in yet, but we're in early conversations now with some at-risk health systems about supporting their patients, um, high-risk patients on diabetes, recently discharged heart failure. Um, and you know we've seen in academic studies that uh, the AdhereTech programs can work for those populations, but we don't yet have the claims data that would show uh, at scale um, that we can, in fact, avoid uh, hospitalization, even though the scale of the adherence increases we're creating indicate that that, it, that we should be able to. And so that's really the next step for us. Hmm, interesting. And, and from an endpoint standpoint, have you seen the value-based uh, uh, translate into better outcomes as well? Um, so we we have um, we have hints of that just because uh, in some cases we're seeing the patients who stay on therapy um, have reduced medical claims, but we don't have as hard data now as we want to. And, and is it the specialty pharma manufacturer case is sometimes small population oncology, you know, schizophrenia, cases that are not necessarily the highest cost area 
to say an urban health system of the kind we have here in, in New York City, you know, they want to talk about AFib and, and, and cases where they have hundreds of thousands of patients with uh, heart failure or potential heart failure, right? So it, we're, we're, we're looking to generate data now with some of our partners around these other, you know, much broadly uh, based chronic conditions to start to show those outcomes at scale. So do you think that the economics work for a broader set of uh, therapies beyond the sort of very specialty high value? We do, um, and especially because there's so much now, we're at this point where uh, the components that we're buying are getting cheaper every year. And if you think out three to five years, we're going to be able to deploy these programs at a much lower overall cost, which is going to be important as we're working with uh, these larger patient populations. Because uh, without using the pricing, you know, a farm, especially a pharma manufacturer is willing to pay a certain amount because the drug is so expensive. If you have a large, if you're a large population of patients with diabetes, heart failure, uh, you know, you're just not willing to spend that much per patient. I mean, you'd, you'd love to, but the economics it may not work for your business. So we're driving, we'll, we'll drive costs down over the next three to five years, and that will let us work at, at much greater scale. Interesting. Well, um, unfortunately, as we uh, do each and every week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to uh, thank you for joining me on the show, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. <laughs> <laughs>